Hello, I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and this is Open Book, where I talk with some of the brightest minds out there about everything surrounding the written word, from authors and historians to figures in entertainment, neuroscientists, political activists, and of course, Wall Street. Sorry, I can't resist. Before we get into today's episode, if you haven't already, please hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We all love a review, even the bad ones. I want to hear the parts you're enjoying or how we can do better. You know I can roll with the punches, so let me know. Anyways, let's get to it. My guest today is the incredible TJ Newman. If you want tension and shock, suspense, buckle up. TJ's books are for you. I was a well past bedtime with both of TJ's books. They're absolutely unputdownable. I'm already counting down the days until book three. I'm ready for the all nighter. Okay, so joining us now on Open Book, I'm very delighted to bring in TJ Newman. She is a former flight attendant, but she is a international best-selling author now. Wrote two amazing books. The first one was Falling. I have to tell you that you made me an insomniac for two nights. I had to finish the book because I had to find out what the hell was going to happen. And now you're out with Drowning, which also Holly and I could not put down. So the two books, Falling and Now Drowning, both bestsellers. But before we get into the books, I want to start with TJ Newman. Who are you? How did you become a flight attendant? And how did you finally find your passion in book writing? How do I narrow it down? First of all, thank you so much for having me, uh, having me on. It's wonderful to talk with you. TJ Newman, who is she? Where did she come from? How did she get here? Let's see. Well, I'm a storyteller at heart, first and foremost. Always have been, always will be. But my path to where I am now was certainly not uh, straightforward, and it certainly was not easy. I started out pursuing theater as as my primary avenue of storytelling. Um, I moved to New York City after I got a degree in musical theater and did the whole, you know, starving artist trying to to make it, you know, with my dreams of being on Broadway. And um, well, since we're not discussing what my next show is, you can guess how well that attempt went. It was nonstop failure, nonstop rejection. And so I left and I moved uh, back home uh, to Phoenix and I moved into my parents' house, you know, and then I'm doing the whole mid-20s, living in my childhood bedroom, wondering what I do with my life with a degree in musical theater, when the musical theater community just told me I wasn't good enough. You know, all those fun existential crisis questions. And um, my mom suggested that I I apply to Changing Hands Bookstore, a, a local indie bookstore up the street. And so I did, and I got a job. And that was, I would say, kind of the first step in the process of where I am now, because my time at the bookstore was crucial, absolutely crucial to this journey. You know, I've been a lifelong reader, a lifelong writer, but coming off of the the embarrassing failure that I had in New York, my time in the bookstore was the first time that I let myself start to to dream again, right? And to to think, you know, well, stories, I'm a storyteller. 
this is a way I can tell stories and be with stories and be with people who love stories and want to talk about stories like we are, you know, um, in a way that's not quite so out there, quite so public. So I started writing at night, you know, in secret. I didn't tell anybody. I just started writing stories. And it it was um, my time at the bookstore that my my dream, my lifelong dream of being a published author became a concrete goal. You know, I remember shelving books, you know, by authors with the last name Newman. And I used to take my my thumb and I would cover up their first name and pretend that it was my own book that I was so shelving. There you go. So you, you manifested a lot of this, you know, the, uh, but the job as a flight attendant, I think inspired some of the uh, storytelling, right? I mean, you, you know, I, and I read Cockpit Confidential. I don't know if you ever read that book, Cockpit Confidential. Did you ever read that book? I have not. No, but I will look it up. Okay. But anyway, it was about flight attendants. It was interviews of pilots and flight attendants about the good, bad, and the ugly that takes place on a plane and all the different things that are happening on a plane while, you know, the passengers are comfortably in the plane taking off and landing safely. Uh, But you guys are, you know, if necessary, trained in CPR, if necessary, you know, can help bring somebody back to life under cardiac arrest if necessary. You know exactly where at any point in the flight path to get that plane out of the air if there's an emergency. And I think so much of that realism comes out in your books. I mean, your books, let's face it. I mean, if you're afraid of flying, TJ, your books are not the book. I mean, you know, I can't, my wife won't read the book because she's a panic flyer. And I'm like, oh, you got to read this. It's about blah. She's like, oh, no, no, no. I, you know, she starts sweating. But but tell me about how you used your experience as a flight attendant to infuse these stories with so much realism. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, people will say to me all the time, like, you're a, you were a flight attendant. Why are you thinking about things like this? Why are you thinking of all these terrible things that could go wrong? And my response to that was always, that's exactly what you want your flight attendants thinking about. That is how pilots and flight attendants are trained to think. We are constantly thinking about what could go wrong. And in the unlikely event that something does go wrong, what am I going to do about it? That's it's it's a safety forward you know, habit of thinking so that you're ready in the unlikely event that something does happen. So that's how we're trained to think. And, and, you know, you alluded to planes and flights being, um, something always going on, something always happening. And that's the truth. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, you get several hundred people in a, in a single space that are complete strangers and, and you sort of close them in, like there's bound to be conflict and drama that's going to come up and whether or not it's, you know, the person in front of you is reclining their seat, you know, the baby's crying, whatever it is, there's conflict. And so you combine someone who has a, a imagination that's constantly turning conflict into major stories with that kind of environment. And And when I was on the plane, it was just, I was constantly just seeing stories and seeing potentials and seeing ideas. Okay. So let's go to this brand new book. It's coming out on May 30th. The first book was Falling. So I don't want to do any plot spoilers there. Amazing book. I mean, I, as I said, couldn't stop reading it. This one's drowning. It's different. It's cool. Tell us a little bit about the plot. Yeah, thank you. I I knew that when I started writing the second book that I was, I knew two things. I knew I was going to have to go bigger and I knew I was going to have to make it different. So insofar as they're both, you know, dramatic incidents that happen on a flight, that's sort of the extent of, they they diverge shortly after that. Um, Drowning. Drowning tells the story of flight 1421, a flight from Honolulu to San Francisco that 
crashes into the ocean six minutes after takeoff. The passengers immediately evacuate until an explosion forces those who didn't get out in time to close the doors. But it's too late. Plane floods and sinks with 12 people trapped inside, including a father and his 11-year-old daughter. So now their only hope at survival lies with an elite rescue team on the surface led by her mother and his soon-to-be ex-wife. Okay. So let me ask you this. Why? I mean, that is shit scaring if ever there was something. So, you know, are you just like a Stephen King of air travel or something like that? I mean, why? Why not? I mean, you know, when I thought of that scenario, when I thought a plane with people trapped inside underwater with the plane teetering on the edge of an undersea cliff. When I think of that, my immediate next question is, okay, what happens? And those are the stories that I write, right? The stories that I, you hear the setup and you go, you turn the page, right? You want to know what no happened. So those are the types of stories I love. They're the books I love to read, the movies I love to watch. I just, I love those massive, fun blockbuster stories that are just an escape, right? They're just entertaining. I, I love that. Those are the type of stories I like to tell. And I don't know, it's it's a fine line between, you know, like we dig into our fears, right? That's why horror movies exist. That's why Stephen King is Stephen King, because there's something really exciting about exploring your fears in a way that if it gets to be too much, you set the book down, you press pause on the movie, you know, you can, it's a, it's a, it's a way to explore big feelings without the actual physical or emotional risk of having them happen in real life. Yes. It's interesting. So if we, I mean, not to get existential, but if we have no death, we probably have less fear, right? But our whole biology is set up for our survival, which is why we have this fight or flight response as we were roaming the jungles. And now we're in this sort of civilized jungle, or perhaps it's more uncivilized than we think. Um, Let me step back for a second. Is it safe to fly? Oh, it's very safe to fly. Aviation, you know, airline travel is is the safest form of transportation there is. Statistically, it's it's proven. It's very safe to fly. Okay, so I, I, we both agree on that. I mean, I, I don't have any fear of flying, but I do love these stories because this is that like 19 Sigma event. Oh my God, then what happens? And of course, we're living vicariously. Um, again, I don't want to give the plot away, but you have some fantastic characters in this story. So uh, Will and Shannon, Molly, Kit, Chris, I mean, these are fantastic characters. So in a broad brush, without giving a lot of the plot away, paint for us a little bit about these characters what they're like, how they interact with each other. Uh, why are they so interesting? This story, I mean, the whole, I just gave you the elevator pitch of, of the book, but this, that's not what the story is. That's just the setup. The story is really about a fractured family coming back together. You've got Will and you've got Chris, a married couple who are now separated, who are dealing with um, a, a, a family tragedy the grieving and and reckoning with the family tragedy that happened before this plane incident. Um, they're dealing with that to begin with. And now their 11-year-old daughter is, you know, caught in the middle of potentially another catastrophic tragedy to their family. So you've got two motivations there by with one parent topside and one parent inside the plane who literally will stop at nothing to protect their child. And then in the midst of that, you've got the other, you know, 10 people that are in the plane with Will and Shannon, who are, you know, 
think of any flight you've ever taken. It's the, it's the guy sitting next to you. It's the woman in the row in front of you. These people that you know absolutely nothing about that in a given circumstance that goes haywire, you're going to find out a lot about this person very quickly. And I think that that came from my experience as a flight attendant, you know, being on a flight with a hundred some strangers every day and trying to read these people, right? Like flight attendants are also trained to think like that. We're trained to be situationally aware and read people. Is this guy sick? Is this going to be a medical issue once we're up in the air that if I can handle this on the ground, I should? Does this person appear to be intoxicated? This woman is crying. Why is she crying? Is this going to be an issue? Is this person a threat? We are trained to constantly be looking at people and try to... um, And and also, who's a friendly? Who do you think, okay, we've got a problem on the flight. This guy can help me, a medical doctor, a former Marine, a police officer, you know, a fireman, a firewoman. Exactly. We call them ABPs, able-bodied persons. And they're the people that we know during boarding, a flight attendant is looking at people and going, okay, that's a very strong college age young man that in the event that I need someone of that description, I'm making a mental note of where he's sitting. So I know where to go to. So yes, that's, you know, that's what we're constantly doing. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that idea in both of my books, in both of these stories of what happens when you put ordinary people into extraordinary situations. Because, you know, so many of these amazing stories that I love to read and watch, like they're about the astronaut. They're Mm -hmm. about the, you know, the Navy SEAL. They're about person who is qualified to do this. I'm really interested in, well, what happens when you get a worst case scenario with a bunch of people who aren't qualified to do this? They're just regular old Joes off the street. What does that bring out in a person? No, what? exactly. Yeah. And also too, it, it brings the, the distance, you know, when you're reading a book and you go, oh gosh, what is he going to do? Meaning the character, when it's a situation that you could feasibly find yourself in, it's way shorter to go to, well, what would I do? And then that just enhances the whole reading experience as far as I'm concerned, because you're constantly wondering, gosh, I could be in this situation one day. What would I do? That's interesting. You know, I I, uh, I always think about that. You know, I did this. Uh, I did the uh, special forces reality show last year for Fox. So I was out there with like Mike Piazza and, and Dwight Howard, a few guys. And I did the show for a lot of different reasons. I wanted to see if I could handle it. I mean, they put me in a car. They drowned me. Um, I failed, by the way, because I, I couldn't hold. I panicked. I couldn't hold my breath for the requisite 60 seconds. I left the car after 30 seconds. I figured, you know, I don't feel like dying, but I did stomach getting in the car with the seatbelt on and they sunk me to the bottom. I backed off the helicopter just fine, 30 feet in the air, did a back dive off the copter. Um, I mean, they set me on fire. I put myself out of fire. Um, but, you know, I'm always looking for that. Is it, could I handle it? Could I test myself in this situation? How do you know that about you? You obviously have that. Did you always have that? Did you grow into it? How do you know that about you? I think I'm my mother's daughter. I think I was raised by a woman that I've seen um, handle business when she needed to handle business. Um, So it's a burn the boats mentality. I got to do this. Nothing else I can do. Got to do it. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Because what's the alternative, right? Like right. why the alternative well, people, to that people is- People double and triple guess themselves, TJ. That's why I'm asking. You know, Sometimes you just not- have to shoot the target, right? That's exactly right. It's not that I don't second and triple guess myself too. I get that. It's just at a certain point, you have to, and I don't care what it is that you're going up against. At a certain point, you just have to kind of go, why is my fear greater than what I want to accomplish here? 
Yeah, no, exactly. So let me ask you this. The 9-11 flights, uh, what was your reaction to the 9-11 flights? And uh, as a flight attendant and somebody that uh, obviously that was an unspeakable tragedy and, you know, we all lost friends on 9-11, at least us here in New York. What's your reaction to the 9-11 flights? Changed everything. I wasn't working as a flight attendant at that time. I was uh, too young, but my mother was. And having that sort of... um, you know, everybody has a personal relationship to that day. And that is one aspect of mine and that it was easy to envision, well, my mom could have been on one of those flights. My mom could have been a working flight attendant on one of those four flights. Um, and that, you know, that changes your perspective on it. Look, that that day, there was aviation before that day and aviation after that day. Yeah, no and question. I, yeah, it, it changed everything. And my mom, you know, my mom's, she's a career flight attendant her whole life. So she flew in both eras. Um, And so I got to, you know, talk to her and sort of understand from her perspective how that did change things. Um, But I think also it's, it's, it's why, it's why I'm fascinated with the industry and why I portray it with as much respect as I do. Because and and that is how I write my books. I have written my books to portray pilots and flight attendants as the heroes that they are. They are first responders. They are on the front lines. And especially as flight attendants, you know, it's 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 a common misconception that flight attendants are on board for service, that we're there to bring you a drink. And I understand that because that's typically all you ever see us do. Oh, and if you, that- you, you, you want the paying customer to see that and only believe that, but you know, the, the underside of that story, that's what makes your book so fascinating. Exactly. If you never see me doing my job, that's a great day. If all you see me doing is bringing you peanuts and a drink, then I have not done my job that day. I've just provided some service. And that's a great day for me because a flight attendant is on board for safety and security. Full stop. That is the purpose for a flight attendant on board. We're there to evacuate an airplane. We're there to, you know, shock your heart when you, you know, go into cardiac arrest. We are there to provide safety and security. Service is just something that we gladly provide. And so writing these books from that angle and, and, you know, a a response that I get all the time from, from readers is I never knew, I never really realized that flight attendants were that well-trained, that they, you know, had that kind of expertise, that there was that much responsibility in the role of a flight attendant. This has increased my role, my respect for the role of a flight attendant. Like nothing makes me happier than that feedback because that's, that's what they are. They're, they're heroes. And that's how I portray them. Okay. So got to ask you this question because it was asked of Stephen King. He was asked, uh, do you have a dark side? And Stephen King said, yes, I do have a dark side and thank God for it. That was his his answer to it, you know, because it, it helped him manifest all these imaginative stories, which have led to such a best-selling, you know, storied career. Do you have a dark side? I'm not sure you can write in the genre with which I write in and Stephen King writes in. And and I don't even know if you can be a human being without having a dark side. I think that it's the dark that helps us understand the light, right? Like you look at, when I look at my stories, it's like, it's easy to say they're dark and they're, you know, danger-filled and fear-filled and all of this. But really, when you read them, they're about love and hope. 
and yeah, yeah no and question. An underdog heroism about heroism. You you write about heroes, which you can't have. Right, we I write about heroes. And what is a hero? A hero is courageous. And the only way that you have courage is if there is also the presence of fear, right? You're not courageous on a happy day. You're not courageous when everything's going right. You're courageous when you're faced with the darkness. And so in order to have the what my stories really are, what I truly love, which is an underdog, which is a happy ending, which is a success story, which is all of these you know, lovely, positive things. You can't have that without the darkness. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about the open letter to dreamers. And let me set the backdrop for our listeners. You had 41 rejections. Your friend Don Winslow writes about it on Twitter often that you were blown to pieces and told no, 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 no repeatedly. Uh, And yet you hung in there and now you have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like that uh, you, you sold the rights to falling to Universal. So you went from no, no, no to two best-selling books. This one will be a bestseller, of course, because everyone that read the first one is going to read this one. Um, tell us about the open letter to Dreamers. What did you write in that letter and what were you feeling when you wrote it? I wrote an open letter to Dreamers um, for Deadline Hollywood that was basically the letter that I wish I would have read 
the letter that I wish someone would have written me after I left New York, after I failed, after I basically decided to give up. I needed somebody to say, yeah, it's hard. And yeah, the odds aren't good, but why not you? Somebody's going to break through. Somebody's going to do it. Why not you? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's the message. Not the message about life. You know, um, you know, I'm going to humble brag here, I guess, or brag, brag. My 28-year-old uh, daughter, 27-year-old daughter, a series of rejections singing, has now got the lead to play Christine in Phantom of the Opera Europe. Uh, she was casted by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, Ten solid years of getting the stiff arm in her face, uh, and she's finally has that breakthrough moment. So at what point do you give up, right? And my answer is never. You know, you lock on the target, bust through the target. Target, burn the boats, take no prisoners. You feel that way? I do feel that way. I mean, look, that's a personal question that everybody has to answer for themselves. The problem is, I feel like people's answer that they would answer that for themselves gets influenced by too many external influences. And I feel like it's easier to listen to the fear and to listen to the voices that are telling you, not you should stop. You're not good enough. No, next. Thank you. It's easier to listen to those people sometimes than it is to our own internal compass, like your daughter who's saying, no, I was I was born for this. This is what I was, was meant right. to do. This is do. my right. I'm going to take it no matter what happens to me, right? Exactly. And, and delayed is not denied. And I am going to keep moving forward until I get exactly what I want. And congratulations to your daughter. That is, I am so happy hearing that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm bringing her up because I'm obviously very proud of her, but you remind me of her because you guys have a can-do-ism and a never-give-up attitude. I think it's so important for people. It is darkest before dawn. You know, if you took the 40th rejection and went home, you wouldn't be where you are today. And I think people have to realize that they have to get up and they have to persist against the odds because everything's against the odds. Our own existence is against the odds. So you got falling is at Universal. You sold uh, drowning to Warner Brothers. So what's going to happen next? What do, I mean, I need another book, TJ. So what are we doing next? We're, I'm I'm deep into my third book, and I'm I'm playing the third one as close to the best as I played the first two. Um, but you know, I, I've said it before: you don't work in an industry as fascinating and dramatic as aviation, and only you know you don't do that for ten years and only walk away with like one or two good ideas. So I'm All deep right, into another, working on another horror story coming. Just so you know, the uh, character names of like Anthony and Holly, my producer, they are available by the way you know they're and they're strong they're strong names tj they're strong names. i've never i've never had a holly and i've never had a anthony so you, you, you know no okay just throwing out that throwing out ideas out there so your friend and mentor don winslow who's written an amazing trilogy and obviously i've read all of the homeric novels you know the iliad and the odyssey and i read the aeneid so great corollaries and he he sent me the key so I could identify which mobsters were actually the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans. Uh, we had a great time on our podcast together. But I said, listen, I got a question for TJ Newman that needs to come from you, Don Winslow. So he provided us a question uh, and we're expecting an answer. You ready? I would never disappoint Don. Never. So yes, I'm ready. What is your grossest flight attendant story? 
grossest. And I have to say, I listened to the Don podcast. Um, it was a great show. You and Don had a great show. And when you got to the point that my name came up, it was so funny because it was like a record scratch. It was like all of a sudden I just stopped in my house and turned around and was like, wait, what? Why, why am I? Wait, what? It was it was very, very funny to hear my name. But, you know, the first story that came to mind um, that at least I'm allowed to talk about on a podcast is I remember my first week flying straight out of initial training. I am brand new. There there's not, you know, my my uniform is perfectly pressed. I'm I'm aiming to please everything as, you know, feeling overwhelming and, and big and exciting. And I just want to do my job as to the best of my ability. And I remember I was working the shortest flight, one of the shortest flights there was in our entire system, which was San Francisco to Vegas. Very short flight. And it was a Friday sunset flight, which means that you're taking all the party people into Las Vegas at that point. It's a very short flight. We've got to get through the whole service, through the whole cabin. And I'm new. I'm not great at this, you know, so I'm already feeling a little nervous. Like, are we going to get this all done? Are we going to do this? And every single seat on the plane is filled, completely full flight, very short flight, turbulent because it's summertime going into Vegas. So it's always going to be turbulent. We take off, wheels are up, literally we're five seconds into the flight and I hear from the cabin, somebody gets sick. And I'm like, oh Uh. no. So I immediately go out there and Anthony, when I tell you it was like a crime scene, it was everything. We're being graphic, but it's a good audio visual. We're having a full on comet vomit going on, right? Vomit, comet. We've turned a comet vomit into a literal situation. And in my head, I'm like, how am I going to get service done while cleaning this up? I've not got a biohazard issue. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But I will say I, I got it done. We got service done and we got everything cleaned up. You know, it's gross, but I'm glad I asked, right? Because I've had the situation. I had my, my, my son is now, my oldest is 30, um, but he took a poop on a JetBlue flight and the stewardesses were mad at me. They were like yelling at me. I'm like, what do you want me to do? You want me to jump out of the plane? I mean, well, well, what do you, I mean, I was trying to get the kid into the bathroom. There's, they, they wouldn't, bathrooms were filled up in the back. You know, I was like, all right, well, they were yelling at me, but anyway, it was fairly gross. Um, what do you think happens to aviation. And what I mean by that is, you know, again, this is just my opinion. Um, I I believe that the world is going to, I think we're going to have massive further proliferation of aviation. I think that the Boeings and the Airbuses are going to produce way more planes going forward, and we're going to have way more air air traffic. There's billions of people that are frankly under-trafficked in the air, and these countries are getting richer. And so my question is, do you believe that? Am I wrong to think that? And if I'm right to think that, what happens? I mean, is it, will it be too much congestion in the air? I mean, I agree with you. I think people, travel's not going anywhere. Um, The world is just getting bigger and smaller at the same time. It was always an industry that I always felt uh, a tremendous amount of job security in, Um, you know, especially as a flight attendant, you know, there's all talk of automation and, you know, things like that and pilotless planes and who knows, you know, AI is a big conversation topic right now. And, and, in my opinion, though, they would replace pilots before they would replace flight attendants on a plane because you can't get AI to evacuate an aircraft. You can't get you can't get a robot to, you know, do the safety and security things that a flight attendant needs. So I always felt like there was a tremendous amount of job security in that way. And then also, you know, it's just yeah, I mean, if 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 my experience and I can only speak to my experience, if my experience is any indication like flights that used to be open, they're not anymore. Every flight is completely full all the time. And right. Amen. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I see that even when, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm moving around all over the country and the world. These planes are always packed. Okay, we're down to my last bit of my episode with you. Uh, I have five words. You probably heard that on the Winslow. I give out five words. I want you to give me your reaction to these five words. Okay, you ready? All right. Okay. Success. Hard earned. Yeah, every success, no matter what it is, is tremendous hard work, right? People, people don't see all the peddling, right? It's a overnight success is fifteen years, right? And that's a, you know that's such a good point. It's like my you know quote success that I've had has completely reframed the way I look at anyone who achieves excellence in whatever they do. I don't care if that's a professional athlete, if it's teacher of the year, if it's you know whatever it is that you're excelling at. Mm-hmm. The effort and work that it took to get there, the effort, the work, the sacrifice, the dogged determination, it's just changed my respect for anybody who is, you know, trying to be the best at what is they're trying to do. Okay. Dreaming. Dream of vital. First word that came to mind is vital. You know, it's it's the naysayers and and the harsh reality is gonna be there. It's just going to be there because that's life, which makes the dreaming just more and more vital. You have to have that hope. You have to have that dream. You have to have that goal that you're working towards. Falling. I mean, I, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is my book. And, and the first thing that I thought of was, oh, my baby, like that. There's something about, you know, first book. It was, I mean, that book changed my life. Everything changed in my life because of that book. And it's, it's a deeply personal, um, you know, journey from where I was to where I am now. And that was the, the, the thing that got me there. And so I will always have sort of that, you know, my baby reaction to, to that book. Drowning. Mm, I am so proud of this book. I really, I worked so hard on this book. And coming off of falling and the success that falling had and, you know, asking myself, can I do it again? Can I, can I capture lightning in a bottle again? And and that's not up to me to decide. But what I can say is that, damn, I worked hard and I really enjoyed the process and the challenge of doing it. And I am just so excited for this book to be out in the wild and for people to read this story because... I love these characters and I rooted for these characters and I wasn't sure coming off of falling that I would have that sort of same experience, but I did. And I am, I'm just so proud of this book. Okay. My last word, TJ Newman. It's weird because that's me, right? Like my name, people always ask me, you know, TJ, what is that? And I'm like, well, it's me. My name is Tori Jan TJ. I've always gone by TJ or T just Don calls me, which I love. Um, So it's me. But I also, when I chose to go by the name TJ, I did it because I wanted just a little bit of arm's length between the public persona of the writer and the personal persona that hangs out with my family and my friends and has all the range of emotions that a human being would have. I wanted just a little bit of buffer between those two entities because it just felt, you know, less overwhelming and less vulnerable because writing in and of itself is a vulnerable exercise. Um, so it's almost weird in this way that when I think of TJ Newman, there's a, there's a slight distance between me and that persona yeah, well, that's your that's your motif. I mean, that's your uh, noom de plum, 
right? Yeah. I mean, it's you, yeah. but it's also, it's also the character that you're jumping into to write and express yourself. Yeah. And it's also, it became like a nice shorthand for myself and for the people in my life who love me where, you know, when things do get overwhelming is the process of, you know, publishing a book is, it's like, I it created a nice shorthand to be like, okay, Tori's not getting that much attention right now. I need to focus a little bit on Tori because everything is about TJ right now. And Tori is needing a little bit of, you know, reassurance and, and, and so I don't know. It's, it's when I think of, of TJ, I think that's sort of like the next chapter in my life. And I'm grateful for, um, what that chapter has become. And that has all been under, you know, that, that that label, that banner, that name. Well, listen, congratulations on everything. You've you've written two amazing books. Your, your book, Drowning, is out May 30th. It destined to be a, a bestseller. And I really appreciate you spending time with us today on Open Book. Thank you, TJ Newman. I so appreciate it also. Thank you, Anthony. Well, wow, you got an unbelievable conversation there with TJ Newman. Uh, She's incredible. What a writer, a gifted storyteller. She gets all the cues about suspense. You know, sometimes when I'm turning pages in a TJ Newman book, I'm saying, oh, God, here comes the end of this chapter, which is going to force me to start the next chapter. So she's literally like a printing streaming company. Uh, You can't stop. You've got to go until you're finished. Hence the dark circles under my eyes. But I'm telling you, I'll be holding off on my flights for a few weeks. I don't feel like ever living a TJ Newman book. But remember, folks, it's very safe to fly. I am just kidding. TJ's got an amazing story, uh, but it's mostly fiction. You're safe in a plane uh, and you should read the book. Unlike my wife, Deirdre, who will never read a TJ Newman book because probably the apex of flying with tremendous fears and anxiety. So we'll see what happens. But God bless TJ Newman and congratulations on this new bestseller, Drowning. All right, you want to come back on the show, Ma? You know, the, you're the favorite part of the show. Again? Yeah, lower the <laughs> lower the Bocelli, Ma. Lower the Alexa. I am. Okay. Or as you say, the Alexis. L- lower the Alexis. It's 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 done. Okay. All right, so Ma, you know I'm always traveling, right? Right. Do you think I like flying or I don't like flying? I think you, I think you like making money. I think I like making money. It doesn't matter, right? Right. right? Yeah, that's that's funny because uh, one of my friends, Bob Castrogano, says you hate the golf. That's because there's not hundred dollar bills in the golf holes. If there were hundred dollar bills in the sand traps, I'd be running towards them, right? Right. Right. We like making money. Right. But uh, do you like flying, Ma? Yeah, I do. Tell me why. You're not afraid? I'm not afraid. Well, I used to drive a bike when I was thirty years old. So right. How could it be afraid to fly? How could you be afraid to fly, right? So there's no problem, right? So you're yeah. just, well, the plane is bouncing and bumping. You're just I'm not uh, afraid. No. You're just uh, hanging out, hanging loose. I'm right? edgy. Right. I used to be edgy as a kid. Yes. All right. Let me ask you this question. I have a woman that I just interviewed. She was rejected 41 times. 41 times. Okay from her getting her manuscript printed. So she's now written two best-selling books. So this is a little bit like my daughter, Amelia. Ten years of trying to break into Broadway, she finally got her break because she stayed with it and she handled with aplomb all of the rejection. So what's your reaction to that, staying with things that you really love? Uh, My reaction is to stay with it. 
absolutely. Because someday the door gets open. And so you should never give up, no matter what, right? Right. I had a father who used to tell me, you never give up. If your mind is made up, you keep going forward. Mm -hmm. What were you dreaming about, Ma? I know you wanted to have kids and stuff like that. Um, but what was your what was the big dream when you were smoking cigarettes with the window open in the bathroom so that Nana didn't beat the hell out of you or pull your hair or hit you with a wooden spoon? What were you dreaming about? I just I just was edgy as a kid. I used to ride horses. I rode a motorcycle. I used to smoke when not too many people smoked. But I was very, very spoiled monetarily. Mm -hmm. So I was edgy. Okay. Did you smoke pot? No. No, you never did that. Never but, did anything Because like was, that, no. that wasn't in your environment. You think if you were a 25-year-old now, you'd be a pot smoker? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, my God. At, at this oh my point, God. I, don't, I don't believe in pot, so I think it's a gateway to harder drugs. All right. It's a gateway to harder drugs. But when you were a kid, who the hell knows? You probably could have been right. smoking, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you're so nuts, Ma. How did you get to be so nuts, though, right? You just really don't give a shit about anything. So how did you get to be so nuts, Ma? Well, I had uh, two brothers that gave me a, a lot of self-confidence, and mm. I just I just go forward. All right. Anything else you want to say, Mama? <laughs> and I love you very much. That's mm. what. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and that was Open Book. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, please leave us a rating or review. If you want to connect with me or chat more about the discussions, it's at Scaramucci on Twitter or Instagram. You can also text me at plus one nine one seven nine oh nine two nine nine six. I'd love to hear from you. I'll see you back here next week.